Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Retro Anime Podcast. I'm your host Ian and as always I'm here with my co-host Lewis. Say hello Lewis. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm very well. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we're here again uh, as we quite often seem to be saying a little bit longer than expected. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be uh, part of our rhetoric sometimes. Uh, I moved house not re- sort of fairly recently, only sort of six weeks ago, and it's kind of been quite disruptive. So uh, we've had all sorts of problems with internet. This isn't the first time we've sat down and tried to record this, but hopefully uh, we're good to go today, having sorted out some problems. Mm-hmm. So today uh, we're picking up where we left off in episode 13 with the second part of our Ghoul Force retrospective. Uh, we'll be reviewing Ray Gal Force, Ghoul Force Earth Chapter, and Ghoul Force New Era which collectively make the second story arc in the franchise. We'll follow this up in episode 21 with the final part of our retrospective with the three standalone anime in the series. So, Lewis, these are your first viewings, aren't they? Yes, they are, yes. Yeah. So I've seen these before. So when I bought the uh, CPM discs, uh, sort of, oh, I don't know, must have been 12 or so, 13 years ago, I watched it all in one hit then. So uh, I've, I've seen it all before, but I haven't mm. seen it since I watched it that time. Certainly these these three, the original trilogy, I've seen a couple of times. Well, certainly Eternal Story, I've seen quite a bit. So, yes, interesting to go back and see how it's stood up in my memory. Number Fitz, uh, City Hunter anime in its entirety has been licensed by Discotech. It's actually a franchise that I wanted to cover on the um, podcast hopefully later this year i've got it in our recording schedule again you've never seen anything from it have you no no i haven't no so the original series started in 1987 and it had a movie released this year called shinjuku private eyes which was actually 20 years since the last city hunter special uh basically it's one joke about a bloke who is a private eye who is really lecherous and leers over sort of really creepily you know leers over girls and he has his assistant who's a girl who just beats him up uh with hammers mallets baseball bats whatever's at hand uh for his leeching sort of leching i've seen the original tv series and the movies 357 magnum and bay city wars um so in the schedule i had us to review those two movies and probably um million dollar conspiracy as well so we'll probably get around to that a bit sort of later in the in the year uh other big news for us well, we've booked our trip to japan yes we have yeah for february 2020 all gourmet all gourmet, all gourmet. <laughs> oh i'm so looking forward to the food yeah I'm so looking forward to the food well i know certainly there's some bits i want to go sort of see some of the studios ghibli museum the full-size gundam and a few bits like that and some historical stuff but i'm sure we'll sort of focus it all around when we'll be eating and i'm sure we'll be enjoying the nightlife in Rapongni as well yeah, carefully, carefully, carefully enjoying the night. I've been yes, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we've got our flights books, it, yeah. uh, but nothing else at the moment. So we're just bottoming out what we uh, what we want to do, aren't we? So uh, mm. right. So that's the introduction that way. Let's get on with our reviews. Yeah. 
So our first review today is Ray Gal Force. Uh, this is a one-episode OVA from 1989, directed by Katsuhita Akiyama, again, who directed the uh, pre previous trilogy. Uh, character design, again, was by Kenichi Sonoda. Uh, there were lots of other staff on this that worked on the previous Girl Force enemy, and again, it was produced by AIC. It's currently out of print, was released by Central Park Media. You know, it's one of those things hopefully Discotech might pick up one day. So, a brief synopsis. In the year 2085, a scientist resurrected bloodthirsty alien machines and brought about the end of civilization. Now, one woman must rise to fight this inexorable army to unite humanity and regroup to Mars, where humanity will make one last stand. So, Ray Galforce, Lewis, what do you think? Yes. You know, it's actually surprisingly good. Yeah. Yeah, like I was, uh, I mean, it's, it, it suffers a little bit from... I guess the early anime pacing, but uh, it seems to keep beats going really nicely. I found myself really enjoying the the full set of cast, like all of them were just really interesting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, it's like it had like the animation quality was incredible. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, I um I haven't seen this for a long time. It must be ten years since I watched this, and my memory of it was that it was kind of okay. Um, mm. And actually, I enjoyed it much more than I remembered it. I watched it twice for the review, and actually, mm. second, I watched it first time round and was like, oh, actually, this is quite good. I'm actually really enjoying this. And I watched it again about two weeks later, and I and really thoroughly enjoyed watching it again. So, yeah, actually, I think it's quite a good start because it's quite a different scenario. So obviously, the first trilogy was very, very hardcore space science fiction. Mm. You know, sort of the two alien races and it was very very high tech weaponry and lots of spaceships and and everything you know um mm. and this one is back on earth so humanity has basically found what was left behind so at the end of um stardust war you saw this probe floating through space and yeah. it ended up in the sort of earth sphere it's been found by humanity yeah, it's been found by sandy's Sandy's uh, father. Father. And from it, with this incredible technology, and of course it got militarized, um, and these amazing, of course, <laughs> you know, and these uh, sort of cyborgs and sort of robot army, uh, which then turned against humanity as it always does, and now humanity's fighting for survival. And I think it picks up that, and we've got this new setting of like basically a ground war, rather than this sort of space war, which the original story arc was. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really, really good. Um, it gets off, and I feel like we say this a lot on this podcast, but um, the opening scene, almost a sort of complete rip-off of the Terminator's opening scene. I don't really recall it, but do it do do entertain me. I can't quite recall the opening scene of the Terminator. So on the opening scene of the... M I think it's the opening scene of the Terminator, but it's very early on in the Terminator. Yeah. Uh, you see the sort of ragtag resistance army... And they're yeah. being chased by a hunter killer, which is like a flying ship, and they shoot yeah. it down out the back of a truck. Yes. And that's kind of basically the opening scene of this anime. It's mm. not, well, it's almost shot for shot, and it's got the same sort of Terminator, John Carpenter-esque music that yeah. the Terminator you know, had. You know what it also reminded me of that we've watched more recently? Blam. Yes. The opening scene of Blam. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you're absolutely spot on. Yeah, like running through uh, like dystopian robot enhanced future. Yeah, um, yeah, like a crack yeah, team of assault yeah. troopers and stuff like that. Yeah, it did remind me of that. Yeah, um, 
but yeah, it's it's a cliche because it's it's one of those things that's just a very easy way to establish um, wonder and tension uh, over yeah. you know because you know you're witnessing <laughs> likely the main characters. It either goes one of two ways: either they all get killed off and it cuts to someone who <laughs> who is the main character, or this is the group of people you're going to be following throughout the movie. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. It, it, like, it, it does keep you wondering what's going to happen next. It does, and I think it. It plays out. I mean, it obviously centers around Sandy, who's this kind of idealistic soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, because what is quite evident through this, and again carrying on, you know, some of the rhetoric from the the first story arc. I mean, in this case, it was the two the two races fighting each other, and you know, Stardust War was was very sort of clear about mutually assured destruction. And in mm-hmm. here, we've still got East versus West. We've still got America versus Russia. And the Cold War still exists between the people, even though they've got a common enemy, they're yeah, still kind yeah. of enemies to each other. Yeah, even though they've got something far greater to worry yeah. about, they're still squabbling over a desk. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very, like, they try and make it very poignant, and obviously Sandy stands up to it, and I, like, everyone should in that scenario see the light and understand what they have to do, but it's still like, nah, <laughs> screw this girl for standing up to us. <laughs> Uh, and that's where we get introduced to Norton, or as I'm calling him, Norton Antivirus. Yes, absolutely. The uh, big cyborg uh, who was on the Earth uh, army, isn't he? He's, he's enormous, isn't he? It's hilarious. Yeah, gig- gigantic. Pretty much the Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the scale in anime of things like this. It's yeah. it's hilarious. Because I've just finished watching G Gundam, and um, I think it's the, the uh, Greece Gundam fighter. He's like, I don't know, about 25 foot tall. And about mm. 15 foot wide, you know, it's it's hilarious. It's just enormous. Um, and it's the same thing in here. There's the, you know, you can have enormous people and enormous cyborgs. It's just it just goes with it, you know. No one bats yeah. an eyelid. So I think it does quite a good job because it, you know, it gets that scene. You get the flashback to the sort of alien technology being found, um, you know, and the story with uh, Gray Newman, who's Sandy's dad, discovering it, and the whole build up to that. That's quite neatly done in a series of flashbacks. The other thing as well is that, you know, you've got most of the Earth race or, you know, the, is now on Mars with a big army. Um, and what they want to do is the Earth, well, the Mars army to come and sort of help them fight the MME, which well, we haven't said that yet. So this this race is called um, the MME, this race of robots um, and, and everything. And they're led by a sort of main sort of AI called Gorn. Um, who's the leader and actually while I'm talking about Gorn um, there's a game that came out a few years after this called Soul Face that has got almost very similar animation or look to its computer AI it's got this computer called the GCSWT Mm. and it just when I saw this again it's like oh yeah it's you know you can see where all this thing was cross pollinating yeah you know in in Japan during that sort of period Um, Mm. so We've got East versus West. We've got Nelson versus Domitov arguing over it and, and Sandy trying to plead to put the differences together. And they put this request to the Mars Army um, and they say it's going to take 700 days to get enough resources together to... Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To, to, to get uh, everything sorted out for them. So it's is, like... <laughs> uh, obviously not good enough. Like, it's, you know, two years in the future and they're already, like, <laughs> at their wits' end. yeah. Well, I think that's quite realistic, though, because it's one of those things, it is, yeah. you know, if you I quite like that about it um, in that that is probably quite a realistic scenario, you know, to probably build up enough 
resources and everything because they are yeah. you know sort of and to make the, the journey back journey yeah. back and all the rest of it yeah you know it it makes yeah. sense um so what you get is operation exodus where it's basically to get everyone off earth and just lead the robots to it yeah and i think this is where i think it, it gets really good i think the whole bit from where they start the um operation exodus, the op- yeah. operation exodus and they start getting everyone onto the onto the shuttles and stuff yeah um because there's some great scenes there where they're actually boarding the shuttle and like the detail. And as you said earlier, you know, there's some fantastic animation in this. And yeah. That whole bit where they're getting the, the shuttle preparation and, and getting everyone on board. There's some fantastic detail. Yeah. And you that. feel the blight of it all as well. Because they're yeah. like, they're, they're fighting on all fronts, you know, trying to get yeah. as many survivors as possible to yeah, the, the shuttles. Yeah. Um, and there's like this movie, especially the first one, has good power scaling in it. Yeah, like it's like you you feel that the humans are almost helpless, but they're managing to whittle through yeah. these robots. But they're not the the robots aren't you know insurmountably too powerful for them to you know yeah uh, be crushed immediately. So there's like a, you understand the power scaling on this, which I think the the, the later movies a little bit suffer from. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the, 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 you feel the whole plight of it. There, everyone trying to get um. People were, you know, characters that came to heads in the meeting room, you know, coming together after yeah. being scattered um, and helping each other out, getting all these survivors for that mutual goal. And they are actually, they do end up all working together towards something rather yeah. than, you know. That's right. They do actually come together because as you were talking about scale there, there's actually a really good scene. So basically the, the leftover army are creating this kind of diversion um, and it's offensive to allow the shuttle to escape and mm. there's a bit where there's a scout looking out and you see the army coming and there's really good scale in that scene and the animation and artwork that sort of depicts this massive army mm. against the against the humans i think that's really really good um yeah. and basically you know and at the end dominoff and, and nelson they come out to fight themselves don't they that you know they help get this last group yeah because basically what happens is that Sandy and her sort of Russian counterpart, or she goes to help her Russian counterpart get some people who are, you know, the last sort of outpost of humans that are stuck. Yeah. And Nelson. Yeah, and she's slightly more punk metal than uh, yeah, Sandy yeah, is. Absolutely, yeah. Very, very punk metal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's where Nelson yeah. and Dominov turn up. So everyone, everyone's come together, um, and you see the, you know, you see the the shuttle launch. And one of the things, you know, this kind of a lot of this and the sort of fighting, there's that real, I don't know, feeling of Vietnam about it. I know it's not set in a jungle, but this sort of ground offensive and running around Mm. buildings and everything really reminded me of that. And I think, you know, the sort of depiction of an army and soldiers sacrificing their chance to help the masses and everything, I think is really, really good. Yeah. There was some real cheese in it. I think the final bit where Sandy's watching the the shuttle launch is quite cheesy. You know, she's got this yeah, kind of yeah. But I yeah. think that's poignant because they've all yeah. they've all they've all sacrificed something, and that's yeah. that moment of reflection. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're like, right. I I, I, yeah. I didn't really find that too cheesy. I, it's just kind of like one of those. It was, it was a send off sort of thing. Yeah. It's like it was it was something that I feel like it could have ended that way, and like no one would have been angry that there wasn't a follow up movie. Yeah. You know. No. No. Absolutely. Yeah, they would have been like that was a nice little story. Like it was that there's like. It's love and lust and people making sacrifices for yeah. the, the betterment of other people. And they've all, at this point, put aside all their differences, standing, watching the horizon and yeah. humanity's last hope sort of take off. 
Yeah. Um, and it could, you know, if, if it never received funding for another one, it could have ended there quite happily. You're absolutely right. Yeah, actually, you're, you're spot on there, Lewis. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. I think because interestingly, that's yeah. another point um, that I had that I wanted to talk about a little bit is because um, at the beginning, you get the title screen that comes up with Ray Galforce and then it comes up with Exodus. Now, that's almost like an episode title. And it's interesting, mm. and I, I've had a look, and I can't really find anything about this, whether this was meant to be the first episode of something, like Ray, Ray Galforce was going to be, you know, three episodes or four episodes or something, but in the end, they created Galforce Earth Chapter as a sequel to it. I, I, I did have a look, but I couldn't find anything about that, because it's very much the sense that this was the first part of something. But as you said, it ended mm. in a way that if it ended there, then you could have you know, it could have kind of sat as a self-contained um, story unit. So, uh, yeah, very interesting to have, to have known that. You know, there's mm. other little sort of movie throwbacks in this. Mitty, the little girl surviving on her own and knows all the sort of various secret passages and that is a bit like Newt from Aliens. Yeah, Mitty Mitty's probably... Yeah, I'd say Mitty's probably the single-handedly the, the most important character, even yeah, more so than Sandy. Because <laughs> she's the one who sort of enables all these things to happen. Like, yeah. you know, if you, you watch it back and she's actually just like, just because she's been surviving on her own, like somehow getting yeah. all the candy bars. Yeah. <laughs> um, in every scene, she's got one in her hand sort of thing, like a young alcoholic. Uh, <laughs> the um, Yeah, she's, she's, like the, she's like the proactive leader of... Uh, I guess a subvertive leader, like she's she's yeah. always leading the the crew to yeah. something bigger and better or another plot point. Yeah. So she she's is, uh, yeah. she's quite a good little activist, and obviously obviously she gets given the little uh, the little robot um yes, pet. The, yeah, the once, MME um, drone. Norton antivirus reprograms. Yeah. yeah. So it's got so, that yeah, cute. She, I, stuff, I think she's yeah. a great little character. Yeah, I think she's a great little character, and she plays yeah. along. She again, she could have been a really silly, goofy, annoying little character, but she isn't. Yeah. You know, she's this great, great entertainment and quite key. And, and it's not a, her childness or childlike sort of um, yeah. behaviours aren't really overplayed as well, which, you know, which I think is really good. It's quite a, a lot of restraint in her character. And everything she does is like, uh, you know, it's poignant. It's not yeah. like a waste of time. It's not like yeah. done for the sake of doing it. Um, she's not some mascot. You know from like the get go when you see her crawl out and like rummage through some things that she's quite self sufficient. Yeah, yeah. So naturally she would be able to like think on her feet and solve problems for the crew and yeah. become more useful than the uh, the adults give her credit for. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and like I think Melody, yeah, Melody's probably the only the weakest link. Yeah. Of it all, because she's never she's never proactive at all throughout no. the entire thing until. No. She's until she's given. She basically just becomes a carrier pigeon for the message yeah. <laughs> at the very end. Yeah, really selfish character as well because she's willing to throw it away. Because the other characters, in many ways, are kind of they're kind of a standard group. Her, Sandy, Bodie, some of the others. They're kind of like a, a very sort of standard sci- action sci-fi set of characters, I think. Because within the sort of fifty-eight minutes or well, sort of just under that, it's fifty-five minutes of screen time you've got, you've got on this. Um, you know, there isn't much room to sort of really flesh them out or anything. And, I, and I'm fine with that because mm. actually the story chips along at a really good rate and it doesn't slow down to do loads of character stuff. It gives yeah. you enough to sort of, you know, if you watch a lot of this stuff, you understand these characters anyway, really. Uh, you know, so, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it sacrifices that. You understand that. where it's going. You kind of yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So mm. it sacrifices that for the benefit of of good, you know, good story pacing, which I'm, as I said, I'm I'm really fine with. We've said about the animation, you know, that's really good. Um, it looks really nice. The music, on the other hand, I think is kind of nondescript. I don't think there's, I you know, it's not memorable like the music in the original story arc. Um, it's just kind of standard mm. background music to it. Yeah, it, it's it's like it's sort of there. It complements it, but it doesn't take it to a new level. No, like, no, it is just kind of standard uh, standard uh, music. So um, the second one does it better. The second part definitely does that musical score better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The only other bit I really couple of bits I want to talk about uh, in it the the scene where Bodhi gets shot up um, is sort of really violent. <laughs> I, there's a bit where he gets shot by the enemy yeah, and then blows yeah. himself up. Um, that bit where he gets shot up because he gets properly peppered. Uh, that's you know I quite yeah, that's a really does. good scene. Riddled. It's really sort of properly violent that scene with mean, plenty of blood. And then and then he does the noble yeah. thing and blows himself up and takes a load of MME out with him to to help the others escape. That's that's a really really good scene. That bit. Yeah, and that's really good. And like I like that. But apart from the my only problem there there is it also shows up how Melody's useless. <laughs> like because like as soon as that happens she's literally like instead of like everything she does she's the victim in yeah like yeah even even though she's like the, the man that she loves has done all this for her she's a, like a, immediately stands up willing to like take her own life for no no benefit or cause so it's like she's essentially just a, a whitewash character until uh until she's given the the, the message to carry yeah um, yeah she doesn't go through much of a transformation. No, no, she doesn't at all, does she? She's the only other bit I I, I really yeah. want to talk about with this one. You know, talking about sort of movie references, as with the original arc, I think there was a bit in Stardust War. There's this sort of quite cool suit up, sort of load up scene um, where they're all getting their kit on, and I think it's uh, Melody and Norton have these massive hip mounted guns, just like the ones. No, sorry, it's Score and Norton pick up these guns. Uh, that are just like the big hip-mounted mm. guns that Drake and Vasquez use in Aliens. You know, there's these, the enormous great... Sort yeah. Of, and the way they hold them is exactly the same as well. So, obviously... Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, defying all human logic. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> massive bloody... Yeah, yeah. So, um, that did make that me laugh. Correct, cause I like that. I, yeah, I did like that as, as well. So, um, so generally, you know, sort of wrapping up... Um, actually, I think it's a really good OVO. I think it's a really solid story. Um, if, it, if it stood on its own, I yeah. think it would be fine. You know, I think actually it's, mm-hmm. it's a really good entertainment. And, you know, in my in my memory, I had this sort of as being not as good as even, you know, Stardust War. But mm. actually, I think it's right up there. I think this was probably a, a very good start to the second part of the trilogy. So, you know, I'd give this an eight. I, I thoroughly enjoyed yeah. this. Yeah. For a, time, for a time when dystopian robot futures were as prevalent as yes. zombie spin-offs were today. Yeah. I feel like this is probably a standout classic in yeah. a sense. Yeah. So I'd give it uh I give it a seven, seven and a half. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. I think it does. I think it's like you say, certainly by this point, by nineteen eighty nine, you'd had five solid years of real dystopian robot future. You'd had a lot of it in Hollywood, mm. which you know, through the 80s, which really, really, you know, really did influence anime a lot um, during that period. So you saw it a lot in video games as well in that time, you know, through mm. the through the sort of mid to late 80s. So, 
in a in a very sort of busy yeah space um for that i i agree i think it it does sort of stand out quite well really mm, yeah exactly i mean you could take any one of those uh movies from back in the day and go this this translates well into a side-scrolling bullet hell let's do yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah stick it in an arcade and we'll, we'll make millions yeah that sort of thing yeah no, i like it. I, I did uh, i did like it it's a, it's a standout uh one of the ones we've watched i think yeah definitely definitely So next up is Ghoul Force Earth Chapter. This is a three-episode OVA that started in late 1989, again directed by Katsuhita Akiyama and again produced by AIC. As with the others, uh, ones we reviewed, was released by um, Central Park Media, um, but is now out of print. Uh, this actually did get a VHS and DVD released in the UK. Uh, I think it's still available in the UK, um, and it's called New Ghoul Force. So, brief synopsis, after the completion of Operation Exodus, the Earth-based forces must survive long enough for the mass reinforcements. During this time, Sandy Newman and her squad face a challenge to their military training in the form of a quasi-religious group called Geochris, which endeavours to make the Earth green once more. Unknown to them, the plan Smiles have drawn up will kill the machines and the forces fighting against them. So, here we are into the next bit, uh, now into a three-episode story. So, what did you think of this then? Uh, this one had a better musical score. Yes. Um, but a lot of the action sequences were punctuated better than um, the first one. I think it they took that more into account this this time around. Uh, I feel like the weird thing for me in this one was Sandy sort of flips back and forth on her character development a little bit. Yeah. She totally kind of like contradicted her character arc from the first part of the movie um and mm. you could ask her yeah she's been through some you know some pretty rough stuff but i don't know some of it like really just didn't feel like we were watching sandy again if you, yeah uh, I, I it was a good solid experience but i don't think as strong as the first no and i think what you've got here is you've got essentially a three episode story arc there's a main arc from the start of episode one to the end of episode three but then each episode is a self-contained story within that ultimate arc um, yeah i mean what you get here is this introduction of the the neo chris so you get you now got this um you know sort of religious group you know sort of environmentalist group that are sort of getting in their way and then sally who's this nun you know who will stop sandy uh, yeah and it's a bit it's a bit odd and it kind of yeah because sandy is kind of such a total idealist in many ways. Um, yeah. I struggled with some of the characterization in this. It certainly, I completely agree, it wasn't as solid as in um, Ray Gale Force. Because basically, the yeah. um, the story in episode one is about there's this secret stash of nu- nuclear missiles that the, the two sort of Eastern and Western armies sort of put aside so that once they got rid of the MME, they could go back to um, trying to um, have a standoff with with some mis- nuclear missiles pointing at each other, 
And basically what they want to do is fire all these missiles off to the MME Citadel and destroy it, um, and in the process destroying uh, everything. Um, and the MME, because they're uh, not sort of organic materials, want them to do that because it will completely destroy the ecology left on that's left on Earth, you know. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's the kind of the first arc. Um, and then there's, you know, the story about, you know, trying to this, get this race of time because basically what they're doing is they're going around to these silos, getting all these silos operational again. Um, and just before the missiles launch, you know, they get the message back to Dominov or Nelson. I can't remember which one now. Um, and, you know, they, they sort of cancel the, the operation. And interestingly, at the episode, episode mm. one, we get this brief glimpse of Catty, who, you know, was the key character from the original story arc. Yeah. Trying to persuade the Mars Enterprise. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And then episode two, uh, we go really, we get a real proper throwback to Stardust War, where they've resurrected, you know, the Planet Killer weapons, the Hecaton chair, um, which is basically the Planet Killer from the, the first arc, you know, based around the plans that were found in the alien artifacts. Um, so rather than just nuking Australia, yeah. um, they're going to sort of completely wipe out the whole Australian continent and everyone with continent. it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, mm. when I saw this again, yeah. one thing that did make me laugh is um, why is it always Australia? Because they dropped, uh, you know, Australia had a colony dropped on it in the original Gundam series. Mm. And, and now and now in this one, they want to completely wipe out Australia with, um, you know, planet destroying weapons. <laughs> Maybe it's easier to animate because everyone just thinks Australia is just a desert. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They're just like, oh, God, the background artists are going to have a great old time doing this because they don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like, I think, I think a lot of this, like, a lot of the build up to that sort of, um, the Hecontier, the Hecontier, a lot of it is an issue with power scaling. Because, like, in order to up the threat, or up the danger from like the first one, they've sort of like gone, all right, well, here's also, by the way, what the robots can do. Yeah. And you're like, well, what? Well, hang on, slow down there, old friend. Because uh, suddenly they're able to infiltrate any computer network at all. Yeah, yeah. And also, they're also suddenly able to hook up humans to computers yes. um, through a neural link. Yeah. And it's just like, none of the, no, I don't feel like any of the, decisions Gorn makes makes any sense for him. No, he's just looking for survival, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So he, he uses the, the human to make the choice of saving yeah. the humans and the MME. Yeah. And the, the yeah, the a- a- MME. But at the same time, he never had to use the humans at all because he could easily just infiltrate everything himself. I Yeah. And that seems like an irrational thing for someone who wants the end of humanity to do. Like and then like but they were, they were just given suddenly all the robots were given powers that they just didn't previously have, yeah. and you're left there thinking, well, hang on, none of this would happen like right now because the first movie would would have been over in a snap. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it would have ruined them, you know. All, all of all of the Exodus, you know, spaceships would have crash landed into the floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. You know, I have to say, I mean, personally, I think episode two. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, if he can tap into all the computers, he doesn't need, you know, Sandy because basically he he kidnaps her and then he makes her choose. Personally, I quite like that fact that he actually 
uses human will to stop the humans destroying themselves and destroying the MME um, because she gets into yeah. these sort of weapon satellites and, and shoots the Hikaten chair just as it launches and sort of, you know, sort of diverts the beam and it misses misses Earth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite like that bit because yeah. Gorn's saying, your father, this is his sin, the MME and the war, um, you know, and the hatred because a lot of this story in here this uh second ova in earth chapter is about the fact that if you show someone hatred they will just reflect that hatred back at you which again goes back to this standoff that was happening in the cold war you know the americans show the russians hate the russians reflect it back the russians show america hate america reflects it back so it's it's all doing that and and i think the actual action the bit and the tension that builds up as the weapons getting close, because the the captain of the Hecaton chair, um, Vary, I think her name is, um, you know, she's she's absolutely yeah. headstrong. She's going to destroy the MME, and she doesn't care what the sacrifice is and the human cost is. Lamadia, who's the general's daughter, who gets in the way, you know, who's trying to stop her. I think that all builds up, and that tension about ten minutes or so through that bit of the third sort of quarter of the OVA, I think is is really really good in that. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed that, mm. and I think the second episode is by far the strongest episode out of the three. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You, you, I think you're right there. Yeah, it's it's definitely like um, there's you know definitely there's a multitude of things going on, and there's lots of like again lots of challenges for the individual characters, and they're all giving like they're all given approximately the same level of agency in yeah. saving, I guess, the continent and the planet is like they're all given they're all it's like passing the baton as to who's got the most important role as it hops through that story yes yeah definitely yeah um and i think i think that's like that's really strong um i do agree with you yeah i like my yeah i feel like i should take back what i said about you know the 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 poor character choice of using sandy it makes sense considering who her father was yeah yeah. um yeah but i i think the one thing i did struggle with was uh the sudden uh power spike of the of the MME. Yeah, I agree, and um, that seems, you know, the fact that it's suddenly got these talking ones and he's into all the networks and everything else, because that plays very heavily in yeah. in episode three, where basically, yeah. I mean, I like that. I like the occasional talking one as like the leader of the mm-hmm. of the unit, but it didn't make any sense for it to spill all the information <laughs> that they needed, and then. Yeah, like just suddenly go, oh, you're too late, <laughs> as if this robot feels the need to gratify, like to <laughs> to gratify itself in his defeat. Um, uh, I was like, okay, well they've, uh, yeah, okay. Um, and then suddenly, uh, Android out of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand that. Did I miss something? Yeah, well, she's she's there and she she's yeah. kind of lurking at. In, at the end of and, yeah, end of one, at the end of one, and and it isn't really until episode th- um, three of this that she sort of really starts to to feature, where she starts talking to Gorn, yeah, you know, and trying to sort of dissuade him, yeah, you know, trying to dissuade mm. him from. Do, do, um, but his... do we ever get? Do we ever get her origin? We don't I feel like I missed that. Like, well, you do a little bit because she basically she she says that she was programmed from. I think it's the very final scene. Um, yeah, I think it's the very final scene of the third episode, or whatever, where she says that she was programmed from the alien data. It's kind of inconsequential. It's a bit ambiguous. It's a bit ambiguous, and it's a bit of like yeah. a one-liner. 
it's literally about 30 seconds at the end of the episode and that's where this this thing about you know if you show only offer something hatred it will only want to destroy you she, she repeats that message again um at the end so yeah it's it's not explicit her background and where she comes from yeah and why she's doing it i think it's mm. i think the, to be honest and that's where this ova falls are down because in episode three we've got melody arrive with the reinforcements from mars and then we get this big ground war against yeah. the mme and gorn and the citadel um and yeah it starts off quite well, and I do like the way that the the animation and the story in the, the first the battle scenes progresses because it really shows that there's this big final push from the humans against the MME, and there's this real, really, really yeah. relentless and sort of debilitating ground war against the robots. After that, what it starts to do is it. After that, I think it really, really starts to drag out. And I certainly feel the last 20 yeah. minutes of episode three really, really drags. During that final assault on the Citadel, when they actually get in there, yeah. when Sandy and co. get in there, it feels like they were just running out of ideas and they had 45 minutes to fill and they just kind of just filled it with fluff and sort of yeah. elongated yeah. scenes to, to fill the time. Threw it out. Yeah, like they wanted a more poignant ending than just destroying him. Yeah. So it was like uh, they they went ahead and just took that. Um, there's more for us to teach you, sort of art holier than thou approach. Yeah. Um, and like you know, Katty becomes that sort of. She then just purely sort of evolves to be the activator for Sandy's ascension, I guess. Yeah. As a character. Yeah. And like, I guess I'm not sure if it's a character growth point or a contradiction to how she was treating the. Uh, how she was treating Sally. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and her beliefs. Like, it, I feel like it gives you, I think it does like, cause afterwards she's like, Oh yeah, I see that. I now understand what needs to be protected. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what I was fighting for sort of thing. It does make sense for her to have that ascension. It does. Against Gorn. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do agree. It's like way too drawn out. Yeah. And I think the actual way they defeat Gorn by creating this contradiction by the fact that they show compassion to it. Yeah. Feels really, really weak. It feels a really weak way of defeating Gorn. I know they were yeah. probably, I know they were probably trying to do it by not just blowing the crap out of him and blowing him up because that's the easy thing to do. But you know, I, yeah. I admire. Well, I'd the... love that. I'd like that as an ending. Yeah, I agree. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it was like it was proven that he wasn't willing to learn or yeah, uh, wasn't willing to adapt despite all of Catty's efforts. So like with that in mind, and like you see now, he's the real enemy. Yeah. And like that whole thing is like, who is the real enemy? Why can't we all just get along? We clearly can't get along because Gorn's a psychopath. Yes. Like, <laughs> there's no, yeah, there's, it's like, Catty, stop trying to make Gorn something he's not. He's yeah. clearly too far gone. Um, and there's no, like, bringing him back. And that's like, yeah. Uh, I would think if they shortened that down, had, had still had the same sort of, I, I guess, quote ending where Sandy, ascends against Gorn, gives him the contradiction. If that contradiction then created a short that, you know, shattered his forces and his organization with the MME, and that gave the rest of the ground troops ground to move in and just completely yes. dismantle it, would yeah. have been a far greater ending yes. than just like, oh, does not compute, does not compute compassion. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, it just felt weak. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And that is exactly my feelings towards it. And I agree, if they'd done that, created the the contradiction that sort of created the gap that allowed the humans to go in and, and physically destroy it, I think would have been a much, much better ending. Um, yeah, definitely. You could have yeah. filled that out a bit more with a, a really good final battle, I think. Um, you know, really good final action scene. Um, definitely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and the thing is, with that ending is that it's over really quickly given that we've got yeah. basically what two hours of screen time to tell this story over the three episodes if you exclude the the end credits um that final bit happens in like a minute or two minutes you know it just finishes really really fast as well so not only does it drag out the final half of the episode it then concludes it really quickly so yeah it's not yeah episode three is by far the weakest one and it, it, it yeah. feels like it fizzles out ultimately um yeah uh, so, yeah it know. does it doesn't it doesn't come to a climax it just has, sort of hits that hits that marking like oh we did it as a team we sacrificed yes. what we did but yeah. we showed compassion in the end and that's yeah. the true victory yeah definitely it's like no it's not <laughs> no it's not because nothing can stop gone now from the mistake yeah. Of the final <laughs> new era. <laughs> There's a couple of other things in here. I think episode two, I think, is the first part of this new story arc that feels like the original story arc, probably because of the Hikaten chair and everything. But the way it's drawn, I think there's a much more sort of closer link. It feels more like Ghoul Force, you know, of what, yeah. of what you kind of know as Ghoul Force. You know, episodes one and two, I think, generally are okay, but. Yeah, as you said, three's not very good. Um, and interestingly, the animation in episode one is really bad. There are loads of missing cells in the motion mm. in episode one, so it comes across as really jerky. The detail is in the artwork. It's yeah. just that there aren't very many cells. Um, two and three are fine. You know, two and three look absolutely normal, but one's terrible. Mm. Um, really, really bad. Yeah, I think one does a lot of the a lot of the setup and like. Um where the animation budget clearly yeah. wasn't, I guess, prioritised into the whole, oh, we'll do a bit of the remember, oh, remember, remember <laughs> this? Um, and, like, and then it was like, right, yeah, save it for the fight scenes, uh, yeah. or the, the animation of um, the hack and tear in space and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, think, I, think, I think, yeah, budget was spread evenly across the three OVAs. That, well, I mean, like, uh, it's spread appropriately, not evenly. Yeah. Um. Like the where the the more money was put into certain scenes that deserved it. But yeah, no, you are right. The episode one is kind of weak. Yeah, and episode in, two. In its, in its episode two, yeah. I really enjoyed, and episode three, I think, is is really bad. I mean, overall, I've given this a six. Yeah. I think the general story is yeah. is quite okay. I say episode two is really good. Episode one's alright, and I think, you know, they just kind of. I just feel like they run out of ideas. So. You know, I think there's still a lot to, an awful lot to like in this, in in the three episodes of the. OVA. Yeah, there is. Yeah, Sandy had more of a typical protagonist character arc in the second three OVAs than she did in um in uh, Gulf War Sria. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, she she was more of an incomplete character in the the latter in the second, you know. Yeah. Um, in the second in the Earth chapters than than she was in Rhea. Yeah, because she's kind of like the, the the perfect idealist, the good leader, the the level-headed sort of yeah. you know go-getter. 
in, in Rhea. And then suddenly in Earth Chapter, she's just flawed yeah. and has to go through a completely new character arc in order to ascend against Dawn. So it's just, it's just it's overall kind of, kind of like a, an inconsistent weakness, but it's something that really, I guess, is going to be hard. It would have been hard to tackle from a narrative standpoint. Yeah, because Sandy has everything on her shoulders in this, this OVA. You know, there's a mm. huge reliance on her. You know, she, mm. after what happened in Rhaegal Force, you know, it's, she's, you know, she's now this sort of prominent sort of military leader. So, and that makes sense. And then, yeah. You know, and and her characterization through Gulforce Earth chapter makes a lot of sense. So you know, I'm I'm I you know mm. I think that is actually one of the better bits. So you know, there is still a lot to like about it, which is why I haven't scored it lower. So I think you know, six out of ten, just above no. average. I think you know, I think it's quite fitting for it. Yeah, yeah, I think six out of ten is fair. Yeah, I'd give it a six out of ten. <laughs> So that takes us on to Ghoul Force New Era, the final part of this story arc. So this is a two-episode OVA from 1991, again directed by Katsuhito Akiyama and produced by AAC, character designs again by Kenichi Sonoda. Yeah, this was released by Central Park Media as well, but, but now long out of print. 200 years after the events of Earth Chapter, the Earth is rebuilding and recovering, foreseeing the return of a villain from the past, Catty pulled together the descendants of the heroes of Ghoul Force to escape the destruction that engulfs the solar system. So we're now into this sort of final story of the Ghoul Force, you know, the sort of second story arc. Yeah. I'll sort of start off here and, you know, I thought this was really sort of quite bad, um, New Era. It's Ghoul Force, New Era, same mistakes. Yeah. Um, everything gets turned and flipped on its head. Yeah, like you, they they put a lot of effort going um, animating this utopian, yes. uh, shared space robot future. They create something really interesting, like as a world and as a way of life and how people are operating with it. And they set the scene wonderfully. They set up like this little world that I'm really interesting in. Yeah, it really interested in. And then they like established yeah. like almost um like a puppet master sort of villain. Yeah. yeah. That like almost yeah like it, you know, like a light light show ghost in the shell sort of thing, um, and uh, and then just just take a big steaming <laughs> shit on it and leave it for dead. Um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what happened here. It was yeah. a bloody mess. I mean, they this feels like they completely oh. run out of ideas at this point, and I get so I get the idea of. Yeah. Like, so Gorn wasn't really gone. He was basically waiting for humans to rebuild the the network technology and the connections and, and everything else to allow it to get back in. You know, it basically sort of saved, a, saved uh, you know, the soft its software or a version of itself in a computer somewhere. And when all the AI sort of matured, you know, centuries in the future, 
um, you know, one of these AI sort of sniffing around, basically stumbled across it and awoke it. Uh, you get basically you get here in this time between Earth Chapter and New Era. Basically, there's been a war against uh, between the humans and the humans. So the humans are basically genetically engineered humans, and it was all basically yeah. a ploy, sort of played by Gorn. You know, to sort of, you know, he's still on his mission mm. to eradicate humanity from the universe. So, you know, he's back, he's back on it and everything. But uh, like you say, it sets up this quite interesting sort of future world Bespio City you know I love the way it's drawn I love the way it's depicted you know I think that bit's really really yeah. good Catty reappears she has this really elaborate sort of ploy to get all these these group of girls together which you can clearly see are the characters from the original yeah the descendants of the, the main characters yeah from the original Ghoul Force trilogy yeah. you know the ones that we see in yeah. uh, Eternal Story get reused here so yeah and Diamond is literally Luffy. She is she's drawn the same. She's the same arrogant yeah. ace fighter pilot. Yeah, exactly, you know. exactly the same. Yeah, so, exactly the same. I can see what they were trying to do in trying to like right. So we've got two story arcs, you know, and this is going to be the final arc, you know, the final Ghoul Force yeah. anime. So we'll by using Catty and these descendants from the very first story will close the story out here. I get that. I, I get what they were trying to do in trying to create this sort of definitive sort of, you know, full closing the circle on the, on the story sort of thing, but it just did it so badly. I mean, they just really, really oh, did it so, bad. so badly. It's so, so bad. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like Gorn, who's despised his humanity, takes over everything again and then decides to assimilate himself as a representation of representation of humanity by occupying Nova's body. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, That's he does. Right. Yeah, he does. Doesn't he? he does. Yeah. And like a, a form that he deems as completely weak and <laughs> insignificant, <laughs> they personify him as a human. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this isn't right. <laughs> this isn't correct. You've, you've, you've made him a single threat. He's an all encompassing problem. Yeah. Um, rogue AI is what he is. He's not yeah. some sort of, I'm a you. I'm a human now. <laughs> Look at me. Um, yeah, like it's just like he he uses humanity against themselves and like you know the the humans um, false superiority complexes and things like that. And it yeah. does. You're right. It does set up that sort of really interesting. Oh, you know. What, oh, I just dropped a pen. Um, it sets up one a really interesting uh, world for you for, to explore and and potentially yeah. create issues within that. You know, slowly would have been great if they just slowly degenerated this utopia yeah. um, into its into problems and things like that. Yeah, if they just separated it into like you know problems within that utopia and slowly degraded it and had them you know yeah. having to go yeah. off world and having that the Earth fall again would yeah. have been really great. But yeah, definitely. It just yeah. within the space of 20 minutes, it's gone from oh crap to total annihilation of the solar system <laughs> and it's just like what like again like power scaling is just it just gets completely removed yeah so catty gets you know the girls off the planet in this escape pod and then they get pursued by gorn as you know personified as well there's nova um and they're on this mysterious they don't know where they're going and they end up on this satellite on jupiter and they board a interstellar ship and they head off into the new new era and that is basically where it ends right so you keep getting this and and you all the way through it again you keep getting these sort of flashbacks really from eternal story because 
they were on this mission. They didn't quite know where they were going. They get boarded by these um, this pod and these aliens that they're trying to sort of track down. You know, it's there's loads of elements like that that are completely reused from Eternal Story. And then mm-hmm. they get off and they head off into the new era. Gorn isn't defeated. They're heading off somewhere mm-hmm. you don't know. And again, it's just another really weak cop-out ending. Ending, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it is a cop-out. Catty sends them on her way, um, yeah. on their way, and it's just like, you're now humanity's only hope. It's just like, hang on a minute. It's just a, it's a crew full of women. They're yeah. not going to be able to repopulate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it, you've sent them on their way to grow old and die. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all you're aware of at the end of the story. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like, they're perfectly... I feel like they, she gathered them together to be perfectly capable to take down Gorn. I agree. Great. Sure thing. But then to go, oh, yeah, by the way, Gorn's a human now, so it's a little bit harder to defeat him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so off you go. Go start a new life among the stars. Yeah, I know. It's, it is really, um, it is really, really weak, you know. It's shite. It is shite, yeah. It's two 45 minute episodes, you know, it's about 76 minutes of screen time, and it just felt ponderous, you know, it just didn't do anything. The action wasn't exciting, no. you know, it just, you know, there was no epicness to it, there was no scale to it, really, there was no ending to it, <laughs> you know, the characterization's really basic. It was just, really disappointing and ultimately i think two episodes was too much this could have been told in a single 45 minute episode i think quite easily you know it it didn't need two episodes again it felt like they were filling filling space again so yeah it's kind of really was really quite a disappointing way to close out that that story arc and you know and if and from what i can gather this was basically going to be the end of ghoul force you know there was no more I know there's three more things that come after it, but ultimately they weren't really there originally. So this was going to be the end. You know, this is the yeah. end of um, Akiyama's story. So, and it's a really disappointing way to kind of fizzle out and just end on such a sort of crappy note. It's a, you know, it's a real, mm. it's a real shame. Again, before you know, before we sort of wrap up and give our scores, I just, you know, going back to the, all the movie references that are through these films. Uh, quite nice to see the um, Ed 209 from RoboCop. Um, shooting people in the streets again. So uh, yeah. the police droids, you know, complete rip-off yeah. of, of Ed 209. So um, <laughs> they look exactly the same. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it felt just... Yeah. yeah, it did feel just creatively bankrupt. Yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. It was just uh, like, oh, I don't even know what it was or what it was trying to do uh, or where they thought they could take it. It just sort of belittles the entirety. It's a nice homage. At the start of it, it's a nice homage of the, the efforts of a bygone past. Yeah. Um, and then and then it, it creates it, it creates this issue that like comes to a, a front far too quickly. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it creates an issue that comes to a head far too quickly um, and belittles everything that the people have like that the previous episode, episodes have worked for. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And and it just and then it just sends it off into into deep dark space um, with the rest of the series. It might as well have done that. Yeah, you might as well just burn it like a Viking funeral and send it off into space, yeah. never to be seen again. There's no closure. There's no closure to the story at all. And you know, no. If you go back and look at, you know, the story arcs themselves, I tell you what. Before we get into that, let's give our let's give our ratings. I give this a three out of ten, and I think that might even be in, be be quite generous 
Yeah, it's it's generous. I, I'd still I still say three because it's yeah. like it's nicely animated. It's yeah. uh, it's got you know good voice acting for yeah. the most part. Bestio City, you know, it's, it does it's have its pretty, good bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, overall, it's just a disaster. Yeah. So what I was going to say is, you know, where was the original Dory arc from Eternal Story to Stardust War? Felt really epic. It felt like this massive, you know, real, you know brinkmanship and tensions and you know it ramped up to the point you know and they were up in the ante on each other all the time you know and came to quite a, a sort of epic conclusion um you know it wasn't without its faults mm. you know stardust war certainly was probably about 20 minutes too long but the story it told and the characters and the characterization and the action and everything else was really really good and had this sort of really epic sci-fi mm. feel to it this one in many ways felt quite derivative and certainly new era yeah. felt very very derivative it was too inconsistent and i think overall the story arc didn't need six episodes i really didn't i think you no. could easily have done this in sort of four sort of four 45 minute episodes would have told this story start to finish in a really succinct manner and you know it would have been mm. much better paced ray gal force got off to a got it off yeah. to a really really good start and then it really started to lose its way through Earth Chapter. And then it just completely ran yeah. out of ideas and fell apart and fizzled out for good in New Era. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was just a shame. I like, it was still a good, enjoyable experience, but like, yeah, the last yeah. New Era was just a disgrace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a disgrace to its name. Which was a shame because it could have. It, yeah. it needed to defeat Gorn once and for all, there needed to be a decisive victory. You know, it's just blow, it's, yeah. and blow, and it's just too open-ended. You know, it's they didn't know how to to close yeah. the story out. So end with a monologue from Catty. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which again yeah. feels a bit and of a cop just, out. That's yeah. it. Yeah, it is a complete cop out. It's just like I don't know what happened there. I'd be interested to find out. But if it was just uh, that that was the if that was the fully planned narrative, then yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> good one. Because they try they try to close it out because. You get this flash, you know, you get this flashback of this scene from Stardust War in this, and the interstellar ship is heading to the Pleiades cluster, which is one of the clusters, I think, in, I think it's in Stardust War that they head to, you know, so it's trying, it's doing that thing of trying to close the circle from Eternal Story, but oh, it just, it just fails, you know, it just fails. Um, yeah. Which is a real mm. shame. So, you know, you can probably understand why why they didn't make any more after this because you know i imagine i can imagine even japanese fans by this point were like switched off by this come on you know? now yeah yeah um, yeah yeah there was just a yeah and, and I, actually, it didn't do much it didn't really do anything with its story at all so it's no. just a shame and actually but, my recollection of the three of them is how i remembered it when i first watched it um i always remember it it got generally mm. worse through the three ovas and I remember New Era being really bad, mm. and it and my opinion of that certainly hasn't changed. You know, there is a drop in quality, is really in story writing and and storytelling quality through the three uh, OVAs. It like they added too much time to it. I think they they gave it too much room to do nothing. They didn't have the story to fill out that screen yeah. time. So yes, mm. uh, yeah. So a bit of a shame. Whereas I would wholeheartedly recommend the first three. 
the original trilogy, you know, some of this I, I'd really struggle to recommend. If you're into this type of thing, you know, and you're into Akiyama's work, then I would go and watch it. You know, I think if you're a bit of a completist, you know, go and watch it, go and see it. But, you know, it's it's hard to recommend in the same way as the original trilogy. Yeah. Like Star Wars, no, really. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. Okay, so that's the end of the second part of our Ghoul Force retrospective. So as I said, we'll come back to it in episode 21 with the uh, the final parts in that, the three standalone OVAs. So next time, we're going to be looking at a couple of epic fantasy movies with reviews of Sangokushi 1 and 2. These are going to be the films from the mid-80s um, and not the trilogy that came sort of five years later in, in the mid-90s. But that's something else which we'll probably review at some point as well. So where to find us? Uh, you can find us on Twitter at RetroAnime. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Overcast FM, CastBox, PocketCast, Podcast Addicts, and another whole host of other podcast services, including Spotify. Uh, just search for RetroAnime Podcast. Uh, we have a website, RetroAnimePodcast.com. You can email us at ian at RetroAnimePodcast.com. I'm quite active on the Anime UK News forums. My username is Organ. Um, you can also find my companion podcast, uh, Retro Mecha Podcast, on the same services. So that wraps up part two of our Ghoul Force retrospective, Lewis. So something a bit it different this indeed. time. It and what indeed. a lovely, wonderful start <laughs> to not so finish. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't have put that better myself. I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> Okay, so we'll wrap up there. Um, hopefully next time we won't have quite a long gap. Again, we'll try and get it a little bit sooner next time. So that's it for now. Good discussion again, Lewis. Uh, speak to you next time. Pleasure as always. See you soon. See you soon. Okay, bye everybody. Bye.